are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name is David Guzik, and today I am joined by... Ingalil Guzik. That's your name, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're here together to do the question and answer time. And the first question kind of is, is why is it that it's so hard for me to do this perfectly technically? There's Uh, a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of buttons. On the little lead-in, you know, it's supposed to have a little audio thing to the countdown. And I didn't have the thing set right on my computer, so it was silent, but whatever. We're here. Very pleased. I'm, so I asked, did I ask you yesterday or this nah, morning? A couple of days ago, I think. Okay, yes. Yeah, if I wanted to join him. So. Sure. And it's fun for you to be able to do this every it's once really in a while. It is. It's really fun. I enjoy it's it. It's a lot more fun than me doing it on my own. For you? Yeah, for me. Yeah. For okay. sure. Yeah. For sure. That's okay. great. Okay, I'm, I'm going to move this microphone just a little bit closer to us. Okay. Okay, I think that's fine. Okay, now, as is the pattern on our Thursday question and answer time, we begin with a lead question. And today's lead question comes from Frederica. Okay. She sent it in by email. Um, I suppose maybe someone on our staff, maybe Andrea or Annie, can let her know that we answered this on YouTube and just send her the link. But here's Frederica's question. She asked this. Is there a difference between the day of the Lord in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, and the day of God in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12? Then there are also references to such a day as in Revelation. How do all these relate to each other, or do they relate at all? Good question. I think it's a very good question. Great Thank question. you for your question there, Frederica. So let's start out with a look at those passages in Second Peter chapter 3. This is what we have here. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So there you see him describe it as the day of the Lord. Is that there? Okay. Now, what's very interesting is just in the next two verses, look at how Peter puts it. Um, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Uh, Now, so what Frederick is asking is, is there a difference? That's a verse 10 yeah. says the day of the Lord. Yeah. Verse 12 says the day of God. Is there a difference between the two of them? You want me to go ahead and... I think you should answer that. Okay. I think we all want to Listen, know. Listen, Frederick, here's the quick answer. No, there mm. is no difference. Now, what I find fascinating is that there are several terms or phrases used synonymously for this idea of the day of the Lord. Let me show you a little thing that I put together here. Um, These are all used in the same basic way in the scriptures. The day of the Lord, as in 2 Peter 3.10. The day of God, as in 2 Peter 3.12. The day of Christ, as in Philippians 1.10 and 2.16. The day of the Lord Jesus, 1 Corinthians 5.5. The great day, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. The great day of God Almighty in Revelation chapter 16. Now, I'm not trying to say that there is no distinction between those. For example, the reference to the day of the Lord Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 has to do with the judgment of believers. But every one of those carries the idea of God's judgment, God's settling things the way that they should be done. You see, the term the day of the Lord, which by the way is used more than 25 times in the Bible, the day of the Lord. That doesn't, and that's without the kind of synonyms to it. Okay. Day of God, day of Christ, okay. the great day. Okay. Just that one phrase, day of the Lord, is used more than 25 times. Okay. That doesn't necessarily refer to one single day. Okay. In other words, okay. we, we know that Jesus Christ is going to return in glory on mm-hmm. one day. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a day on a calendar when that happens. Yeah. But, but the day of the Lord doesn't refer to a single day. More so, it refers to like what I would call God's time or God's season. And the idea is that in some sense, Mm -hmm. not in an ultimate sense, but in some sense, now is the day of man. 
Okay. It seems like men get a lot, get away with what they're going to get away with. They do what they're going to do. Sometimes it seems that justice isn't done. Often it seems like justice isn't done. Right. But that day of man is not going to last forever. Okay. There's going to be the day of the Lord. One day the Messiah will end the day of man and bring forth the ultimate day of the Lord. And a significant aspect to the day of the Lord is what Jesus called the great tribulation. Okay. Uh, that's described in Matthew chapter 24. So that phrase, the day of the Lord and related phrases can be used of several seasons of God's judgment. I find it interesting to go in the, in the Old Testament. Sometimes the day of the Lord was judgment upon the enemies of God and Israel in the past, okay. such as uh, Ezekiel chapter 30 describes God's judgment on Egypt as the day of the Lord. Okay. Sometimes the day of the Lord was judgment against Israel or Jerusalem itself. Hmm. When God judged Jerusalem by the Babylonian conquest in Ezekiel chapter 13 or in Joel chapter 1, that's called the day of the Lord. Yeah. But more so, the most often way that the day of the Lord is referred to is the ultimate day of judgment. Uh, here's an example of this being used in this ultimate sense. I love this little passage from Zephaniah. Let me read this. Zephaniah chapter 1, starting at verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Mm. You just kind of get the, mm. this feeling of the foreboding mm sense of the mm -hmm. day of the Lord. So it always has this connotation mm. of judgment, of God setting things mm. right. And you know, there's a sense in with when which when we are right with God, we want the day of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. But when we're opposing God or far from him, yeah. we dread the day of the Lord. Right. So in Judah's, excuse me, in Joel's day, in Zephaniah's day, Judah was not right with God. So the day of the Lord to them would be traumatic. Mm. So again, this relates back to what Jesus called the great tribulation. But the, the quick answer for you here, Frederica, is all these terms, the day of the Lord, the day of God, the great day, the day of Christ, they refer to the same thing, not necessarily a single day, but the day or the season of God's judgment when he sets things right. That's great. That's awesome. Good. Yeah. Anything else? No, I think that clarifies it. I think I think anything that can make it simpler to understand what's going to happen and what it refers to makes settles things, you know, it just settles in your heart um, that it's all figured out. You know, th there's one more aspect I think about this. It's that, you know, when, when we think, we, we often have a negative view of judgment, and I understand that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's sure. it's clear. Yeah. But when we understand God's judgment as God setting things right, mm -hmm. uh, then we understand, well, there's a goodness to God's judgment. Absolutely. And uh, Absolutely. that's something that we need to consider yeah. and kind of rejoice yeah. in. I think, I think at this point there in life and the world, we, we're going to, as the time goes by, we're going to want more and more for God. Just set things right. Yes. Just let's, let's get this silly, stupid stuff over with and let's, you know, let's, let's get on with God's plan because that's what we all want. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on. We're going to go to questions in the live chat. Um, here, click on this message thing. Okay. Here's the questions in the live chat. Uh, Amir Bondservant asks this. I am a single man asking... Does the honeymoon phase fade away after several years of marriage? Well, what is that a, what is, an is appropriate that a, question? Is that a question to here. you or a question to me? I wonder <laughs> if we would have the same answer. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, you well, want to start? Look, I, why don't you start with telling people what you often tell them because it's helpful for them to hear? Yeah. What you tell people about our first year of marriage. Well, I, uh, 
Okay. Which was supposed to be like the honeymoon phase, which right? Which should be, the, should have been the honeymoon phase. Yeah. <laughs> um, How'd I, that work out for yeah. you? Yeah. I think, I think um, for us, for me, mainly for me, um, I think that was one of the hardest years of our marriage. I think because there were so many adjustments, so many changes, so many new things, I I even have amnesia from those first few months because... Maybe that's good. Yeah, that could be good. <laughs> but um, the I would say the aspect of the honeymoon where there's this exuberant happiness and joy and amazing and fun... I think that depends on who you are as a person. You know, what, what sways you emotionally anyway? Um, I think that a honeymoon phase is um, comes and goes. I think it's, it's a great thing when it's there, and it's just normal when it's not there. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of the, the thing of do you strive to keep the honeymoon phase as long as you can? No, I think it's an aspect of the marriage, and I think the honeymoon phase is um, something that should fade into a deeper love and a deeper understanding of each other and a deeper sense of living with each other with the knowledge that you finally have once you've gotten married. There's a fellow here in the city where we live and uh, named Dr. Jeff Schloss. Okay. And he's done some interesting research, and I don't think he's terribly unique in this, probably other people are doing the research as well, that talks about the biochemical things that happen in a person first when they sort of fall in love and in that infatuation stage. And then that kind of progresses to a different biochemical thing going on in them, you know, having to do with, you know, I don't know, all sorts of things within the body. Mm. But it transitions into something that's more suited to permanence mm -hmm. and, and a long-lasting commitment. Mm. So I, I do think that there's a sense in which a relationship changes, mm -hmm. but it changes into something that's better, especially for the long term. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think, I mean, the specific question is, does it fade away after several years of marriage? Well, it, it should transition into something more suited to permanence and a long-lasting relationship. Yeah. I really think that that's God's uh, yeah. uh, purpose for that. And I think that love, when you start out, is more of a friendship. It's more companionship. It's, it's infatuation. And then it goes deeper into caring, concern, love, uh, sharing uh, aspects of decision making, uh, looking into the future. What should we do? What should we not do? I mean, I feel that uh, a honeymoon phase can be overrated and it can be disappointing if it doesn't last, if that's what you think it should do. Sure. Um, I think you should look to grow uh, deeply in uh, every area and every aspect of your marriage from day one. Yes. Yeah. Right on. So the next question says, from Godchild55, what type of biblical advice would you give a young man about how to find a life partner in this day and age? Wow, it's relationship day here. It is relationship the, uh, that's day. Right. That's great. You know, I never get these questions I know when it's just don't. me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, people probably aren't interested in what I have to say about that. And no. I, I don't blame them, no, really. No, 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 So no. What, what, would you, what advice would you give to a young man about trying to find a life partner? You are in a difficult place in the world, in culture today. Um, I, think, I think for a young man to want to find a godly woman, um, there's going to be some hoops to jump through. It's going to take some time. It's going to be um, um, emotional and it's going to be practical. It's going to have to have a lot mm. of elements to it. So it's not as easy as it used to be because you, you, before it used to be, Hey, you hit 21, 22, whatever people know you're looking to get married today. It's not like that. There are a lot of people who don't want to get married until later and you don't know. Um, and if you are a person who wants to find somebody, um, I think it's important that when you ask somebody out to dinner or whatever, 
you know, let them know that you are looking. You know, I, th I think today people want to know what your motives are and what your intentions are for what you're doing when you're going out with people on, um, on dinner dates or activities. I think the best thing to do is be part of a church who has activities. Mm. You know, it's not just going to church. I think that's a very... It's a hard place to just, it's a good place to meet somebody, but it's a hard place to get to know somebody. You have to do things together. You have to be part of what the church is doing activity-wise, whether you go help out with the children, help out with the youth, help out with, you know, ushering. Ushering is a great place to meet people and welcome them to the church. But um, trust God. Trust God mm. that you, you, if you are at a place where you are marryable right now, then um, you're going to be looking and know what you're looking for. That's so important. Don't be one who just settles, but be one who's intentional about what they're looking for in a woman. And, uh, and pursue that. Make that your purpose. Let me add just a couple things. Yeah. Great answer, but I'll add a couple things. Number one, just the general mentality of, yes, it's, it's fine to look for someone to marry, to be that life partner for you. Right, right. But you also have to concern about being the right kind of person. Absolutely. So it's it's, it's not just a matter of finding the right person, but right. it's saying, look, right. am I the kind of person that someone would want to marry or, you know. Correct, that, correct. That's one aspect. Then the other aspect is this, is it, it's possible to over-spiritualize the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you just kind of wait. I mean, we kind of love these stories, you know. Mm. I, I met her and God spoke to me and said, that's the one. Those stories yeah. turn creepy pretty fast yeah. <laughs> when you, when you you know, know. say that. But, you know, if, if you take any creepy element out of out it, of you know, it, yeah. God spoke to me and said that was the one. And, it, you know, it worked out in a wonderful and appropriate yeah. way. Yeah. You know, we love those stories. But um, part of the reason why we love those stories is we feel like if, if there's something so supernatural to it, that that's somehow like God's guarantee that it's going to work out. Right. And you, you and I know that we've known of couples that have had those stories and their marriages haven't lasted. Right, right. So you, you can over-spiritualize this. Right. And just like Ingalil said, a lot of it's just doing practical things to get out and meet people. Yeah. Because the, the the romantic aspect and the love aspect, I don't think there's so much a problem with that. I think that comes, like we were saying, that comes over time. That's not something you practice until you are married. You 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 can allow for uh, you know compliments and be be happy to see each other. But I mean, there's so many elements of the practicality of. Uh, doing things together, you know, cooking together, going on trips together with with the missions uh, with missions on your at your church. There's so much that would be good just to be known to to for others to get to know you and to um then to look for somebody. But lots of prayer, you know, yes. but not over spiritualized. Lots of prayer. May help ask God to help you be intentional and to be sensitive to what kind of woman would you want to live with for the rest of your life and be that kind of man that someone else would want to live with the rest of their life or clean things up, yes. you know, get things, get things yeah. ready. Dress a little nicer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That Why'd could, you look that, at me when you no, said that? No, 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 yeah. nothing, uh. nothing, <laughs> nothing. Okay. Next question okay. from Carmel. The Passover lamb could be taken from the sheep or from the goats. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, was the Passover lamb always understood to be either an immature sheep or goat, a lamb or a kid? Mm. Well, okay, Carmel, I, I think it's very interesting because to mine, uh, I, I know the verse you're talking about in Exodus chapter 12. That's referring to the very first Passover that Israel had. But to my knowledge, after that first mention in Exodus chapter 12, and Again, I, I may not be correct on this. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. To my knowledge, there's not another reference after that of a Passover sacrifice being anything other than a lamb. In other words, it was allowed to use a goat, mm -hmm. but seemingly they never did it. 
uh, or at least they didn't do it after that first initial Passover. And if anything, that was just due to custom, perhaps, but not by any specific command of God. Uh, And uh, I, I think they just turned into making it a young or immature, a lamb instead of a sheep, uh, that, that turned out to be more matter of custom, as also it also being a sheep instead of a goat. Mm. Uh, I think that was just sort of according to custom. You know, God gives certain commands to Israel or to any group, and we develop traditions and we develop customs. And sometimes those customs or traditions can be very strong. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong or mm. it doesn't mean that they're right. It just means that they should be recognized for what they were. I, I wonder what it would be like in a neighborhood in ancient Israel if somebody said, we're going to sacrifice a goat, hmm. not a lamb. lamb. Now, they could say, look, it's allowed by the law of God, but maybe they would have got a side eye from a mm-hmm. lot of their neighbors or something. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Okay, so the next question is Kofu asks, um, no, sorry. Um, Lynn. Sorry, sorry, Lynn. How do you recommend making it work, making it work when married to an unbeliever? I got saved after marriage, 12 years after. Okay. Well, that's a tough one. That's tough. I mean, it's... It's a challenge for sure. Yeah. You know, fundamentally, Jesus Christ, for the believer, for the person who's born again, Jesus Christ is the center of their life. Mm. Um, Our our life is Christ. It's hidden in Christ. Mm. He's our Lord, he's our master, he's our savior. And to have a married life with someone who doesn't have the same goal and purpose and, and center of their life, it, it definitely forms a challenge for that. Mm-hmm. But, but one thing is, is to take seriously the responsibility to be the best spouse you can, mm-hmm. just like the Bible instructs, mm-hmm. so that maybe uh, God can use your conduct to help win your partner to the Lord. Mm-hmm. What is it that it says in, uh, is it First Peter or Second Peter, where it says that they may be one without a word? Without a word. So the, the kind of indication there is that a unbelieving husband in a marriage to a, a believer, not so much that he's going to be won by the wife's preaching, and, and I suppose the same principle could apply from a husband to a wife as well, but the, the idea simply being that it's not going to be won so much by the preaching of the spouse, but by their godly life and love. Yeah, and and I think that... Your husband, just like in any other aspect of marriage, is not your project. Um, there might be things you can influence him on. It might be things that you can talk to him about that um, you see you come out from different aspects of living and different values or um, direction. But I think that Talk, not, not talking down to him, talking to him as this is what I have come to believe lately. I've learned this or I've understood this. Um, can we, can you look at it from my perspective first and let's talk about where you're coming from? And I think it's important to recognize we don't compromise when it comes to sin. Mm. We don't sin. But we can compromise a lot when it comes to ideas and uh, practicality of things. We don't have to have our way, and it doesn't have to be his or my way. Um, if you can learn to communicate better um, by just l- laying things out on the table and let's say, hey, let's figure out what looks best um, from each perspective and come to a compromise of decision-making that doesn't have to do with sin. And I think that the more gracious, I always say, each marriage needs grace and each mm. woman needs graciousness in mm. her speech to her husband. It's very easy to become irritated and um, say things in a way, in a tone that can be um, discouraging. And then communication becomes the battleground. Um, ha- talking to each other becomes a, a, a source of of pain and frustration for both. And if both can fix it, then that's great. But if not, do your part to communicate well from your end. The next when, one. When, when yes. you said easy to become irritated. Uh, that, no. that wasn't. Well, no, no, no. I'm, hey, 
we're we got a real marriage. Know, we do. We have a we very do. real marriage. But this is this is something that you and I both do, and we started this very early on in our marriage, and that was to um, respect each other mm. because this person that I have chosen, nobody held a gun to my head that I remember, that I've chosen to live with and mm. to love and support, he is first my brother in Christ. Yes. He is first another yes. human being that God has made and that with my life uh, and how I treat him and how I behave within the marriage will affect everything about yes. you. <clears throat> and Absolutely. so we we treat each other um, so as best as we can and we know how and when we do something wrong or say something wrong, we are usually quick to say, I said that wrong or I, I you know, that didn't come yeah. out right. Or you wait a little bit of time, you know, for things to well, settle kinda, down, yeah, and, and then you just say, "Hey, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry." You know, yeah. forgiveness and graciousness are huge in a marriage. It, it's almost a daily. It's not almost. It is a daily yeah. aspect of your marriage. So, all next right. Question. Next question is from Kofu. He says, um, "Where do you think the um, uh, the America and the African countries that didn't exist in Bible times fit into the end times events?" Uh, the okay, Kofu. The, there's two aspects to this. One is the Bible does just mention, in a very general sense, the nations and the peoples of the earth in a very general way. So, in, in that general sense, it's included. Uh, but then there are also some references to uh, a few places in the Old Testament prophets of the coastlands. Hmm. And I, I've heard people say that that refers to distant places, you know, such as. Theoretically, the United States and such, or African places, I, I, I don't really know, but certainly under the just general sense that the the nations re remember that when you read the word Gentiles in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, for that matter, really that word is the nations. Hmm. So the the concept in ancient Israel was there was like Israel, all the other nations besides Israel. Yes, exactly, okay. exactly, all the other nations besides Israel. So. Hmm. Uh, even though we are more distant geographically, we're still included in that broad thing. The, the nations will see the glory of the Lord. And, and, and as far as what place we might play in any kind of specific prophetic scenario, uh, you know, look, that, that changes from decade to decade, from mm -hmm. political development to political development. So, you know, we can look and observe, but we just hold such things with a loose hand, I mm -hmm. think. And just focus on God's big picture. And that is that the glory of Jesus will be exalted over all the nations. Hmm. That's his promise. That's great. That's awesome. Um, and now Regina Queen says, I've heard a lot of people prophesy by saying that God told them something, told them something to do. Does God talk to people like that today? Oh, uh, this is a complicated question, Regina. Because I do believe that God communicates with people today. Let, let's just use that word, communicates with people today. Now, obviously, the fundamental way that God communicates with people is in and through his word. Mm. I, I often tell people, don't try to hear a word from God. Mm. Read his word, meditate on his word, and it'll speak to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, th this is God's word that you don't have to wonder about. Right. It is the word of the Lord. Yeah. Now, that being said, I, I do believe that God communicates with people today. The, the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. Yeah. And in some way, that's communicated to a person. I'm a sinner. I need to trust in Christ. Mm. I need to repent. Uh, you know, would you say that the Holy Spirit's speaking that to the person? Well, I, I don't, he's communicating it in some mm -hmm. way. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't think that we have to go around seeking for God to speak to us in a way other than his word, but there are times and places where he may. Yeah. And, and look, Ingelo, you know how it has been for our yeah. life. Yeah. There's been times when God has brought to us 
very specific words of prophecy mm. that have served to confirm mm. what God was already showing us and leading us to do. Mm. And uh, th- those aren't like everyday occurrences right. by any means. Right. Right. And a lot of people are way too flippant in the way they yes. talk about the Lord yes. speaking yeah. to them. Yeah. The Lord told me this. The Lord yeah. told me that. The Lord told yeah. me the other thing. We should be very sober-minded about that. And what I always like to tell people is that what they should say instead is, I think the Lord told me this. Or I have a sense. I have a sense. sense that God is saying this. Yes. And I think, I think that instills a little bit of... Uh, takes the awkwardness out of it, whoever you're talking to about this, or, or when you say that, it gives people a little bit more understanding that hey, we we can hear wrong. God can speak yes. perfectly, but we can hear wrong, or we yes. can interpret what we think He's saying, or just like the Bible, we can read something and we can go off in a different direction than than what normally is said, and and. It could be very confusing to people. Um, and the New Testament makes it very clear that any so-called prophetic word should be judged. Right. If, it, if it's a prophetic word, right. Yeah. yeah. Or if somebody senses the Lord is speaking to them about something, then uh, I wouldn't take action on anything I felt the Lord was speaking to me unless I felt like that had been judged and confirmed. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't think that that's the whole, the normal everyday conversation. No, 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 but, you're right. But if if that's happening in a meeting or a church service or a gathering, then that's a whole different thing. But you might be out for coffee and somebody says, hey, I feel the Lord mm-hmm. is, you know, or I think God told me that I need to do this or that. Yeah. But that emphasis, again, there's no doubt that yeah. God has spoken to us authoritatively in this word. Right. And that's what the emphasis should always be upon. Yep. Yep. Okay, next question. Next question goes, how do you escape feet? Who, who's it from? Uh, from uh, Race okay. Hill. And um, the question is, how do you escape feeling like prayer is just a list of things you say to God or ask God for? Sometimes it feels like it's just a mandatory list of things I have to say. I, th- I think that's a very um, observant aspect of the Christian life at times. I, I know that there were times where I literally would have a list and I would mm-hmm. work down my list of things that I wanted to ask God for and, and to um, be specific about, which I don't really think is anything wrong with that. I think that if it says to bring your requests before the mm-hmm. Lord, uh, I think that's a good thing. I think that's part of this communication that we have. I give God what's on my heart or in my mind that's that's either weighing heavy or I just feel like I need to pour out and leave it there. And then, as we always do, may your will be done mm. in all these issues. Um, if it just seems like that's the only thing you do in prayer and there's no worship, there's no asking for forgiveness, there's no Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, you know, then, then you might want to say, I I need to add to my prayer time more of those elements besides asking God for things, um, or to do things for you. But I, I think it's part of, it's part of relationship. It's, it's like now that you work at home much more and I see him sitting in the living room, I feel like I can talk to him whenever he wants. And he's like, wait, wait, I'm on the phone or I'm, I'm doing something or, you know, we just sign language um, because he's there. I think that's how natural your relationship with God becomes over time. You just talk to him all throughout the day when you are thinking about things. Um, and then you have your maybe specifics or the people you're praying for or the things that are happening in your life. You know, um, it's our habit to pray together most every morning. Most. I mean, we can, most every morning. And we pray for the same things a lot. A lot, yeah. I mean, one reason is, is because Jesus told us to be persistent in mm-hmm. prayer. Yeah. But another reason is because these are things that are dear to us. Yeah. These are things that are important to us. And, yeah. and so we want to persist in prayer. Yeah. And uh, I, I get the sense that you mean their race, uh, that, you know, it can feel just like you're going through the motions. But what Ingelow said is spot on. Mm. It's very helpful to mix things up and to realize that prayer 
is much more than just us giving requests to God. It's thanking him. It's praising him. It's reading his word. Mm-hmm. It's honoring him. It's claiming promises. So that that's that's wonderful to do as well. Yeah, very good. Okay, then we have Cade Northcutt says, what is the age of accountability for children? What verses in the Bible support the idea of the age of accountability? Boy, um, Cade, I've got a study somewhere on this. I, I don't even think I could look it up very quickly. Uh, but there is, I wouldn't say that the Bible gives an age of accountability, but it does give a principle of accountability. Mm-hmm. People who know more have more guilt. And people who know less, the, the more we know, the more responsibility we have, the greater is our guilt before God. And so on that basis alone, a child, an infant, has less accountability before God than a full-grown human being. Uh, someone who may uh, have some special needs or, or challenges having to do with, you know, whatever, their uh, thinking or thought process, they uh, may have the same thing, less accountability. And so I, I think following that principle, we don't have an age, but we have a principle of accountability that's given throughout the scriptures. One very interesting passage is in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul speaks of that once he was alive without the law. And, and the only way that I can make sense of that is for Paul having some kind of life or some kind of uh, status before God before he was fully accountable before God. So I know that there's a lot of people, and it's a habit of a lot of people today to sort of reject the idea of any kind of age of accountability. But I think that there's a lot to it and a lot that's neglected. Hmm. Matter of fact, I want to sort of look up very quickly here and see if... Um... No, I don't see it here quickly, hmm. so I'm I'm not going to look it up. But I've done some research on this, and I really do think that there's much more to this principle of, a, as I said before, a principle. The, let me just put it to you this way strictly, Kate. The Bible does not give a strict age of accountability, period. Okay. It, it doesn't say, you know, according to what became Jewish practice and custom, you know, at 12 or 13 years old when the child had their bar mitzvah. Mm. It doesn't give that. But it does give a principle of accountability mm. that I suppose could be different from person to person depending on their ability to understand mm. and what has been shown to them. That's good. Okay. Okay, so then we have Carla West. She says, what should you do if your spouse says they are no longer in love with you and wants a divorce? Wow. I'm hoping that this is not what's going on in your life, but if it is, um, our prayers will go out to you. We will pray for you next time we pray together, and we'll keep you in mind. But if this is just a hypothetical question and you've met people that say this to you, um, I think you have to go back to communication. Um, What is... What is the best thing to do in this situation to make things right? What, why has it come to this point? It didn't happen overnight, so fixing it isn't going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time uh, and effort. And the reality that um, there might not be any love left between two people, uh, but divorce doesn't have to be the solution. Um, if if you are amicable and can live together and can work towards um, supporting each other during this difficult time period, and it could just be and have to do with life in general. Life could mm-hmm. be hard, and and you 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 think that maybe it's your spouse's fault, or or it would be better if your spouse was differently. Um, work on things together. Don't allow for this separateness or this wedge to come in. 
and and make the space between you be so difficult um, to to live with. Um, you know, be the giver. Be be the one who works towards peace and works towards um, a greater sense of belonging to each other than what you have. Mm. It doesn't have to be all warm and fuzzy love all the time, but it can be that mutual respect, honoring one another, deferring to one another, uh, looking for ways to bless each other as another human being. You know, marriage, marriage is so much more than just two people dancing around the kitchen, you know, cooking. I mean, mm. when was the last time we did that? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we live with each other in, in a way that blesses each other. We look for ways to bless the other person um, all day long, every day. And if you've stopped looking for ways to bless each other, get back to it or start doing it. Um, I think that divorce is acceptable at times. We don't have to go into that yet. You have a whole um, teaching yeah, on that. Yeah. yeah, there are certain circumstances under which God definitely gives allowance for divorce. But I, I kind of think on top of all that you said, Ingalil, um, relationships, marriage relationships are complicated. Yes. And it's very rare that it's just one problem. Mm-hmm. Now, th- there may be one main problem, mm-hmm. but in the complexity of marriage relationships, mm. th- there can be all kinds of problems that work in that. So I- I'm not saying what I'm going to say right now answers everything, mm-hmm. but but it speaks to one aspect that we often think of love as just a feeling that we have mm. inside for mm-hmm. another person. Mm-hmm. And there's a very real sense in which it's more helpful and more accurate, biblically speaking, for us to think of love as a choice we make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, we, we tend to love the things that we take care of, mm-hmm. that we invest into, mm-hmm. that we concern ourselves mm-hmm. with. Um, people have that with pets all the time. You know, they, they get some kind of pet and they don't really have much affection for the pet at first, but they start taking caring the pet and, you know, feeding it and just helping it and making sure it's healthy and enjoyable and all that stuff. And then they kind of learn to love that pet all the more. And, of course, that's different with a human being and an animal, but th- there's a sense in which love can be cultivated when we choose the things mm. that lead to yeah. love. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. Again, I know that that doesn't answer everything because mm. relationships are very complicated, but that mm. that's a principle that mm. I think has been helpful for me. Yeah, and I, and I think that when, when it's not so much happening to you, but to mm. your spouse, that's when you pray for them more. That's when, you, yeah. that's when you, you kind of back off and give the Holy Spirit some room to work in their personal life and to... Um, it maybe even express that to them. Hey, I know you're having a hard time. I I want you to know I'm praying for you. Um, this is this is not because you're married. This is something you should be going through together, working towards each other together. But sometimes each party has to work f- first between them and the Lord and work on the things that are happening with them right at the time. There could be underlying sin, but it doesn't have to be. It could just be life. And mm. and this world is very dark, and, and those things can come down on upon any one of us at any time. But recognize that if you're in this together, um, you can absolutely and should uh, fast and pray for your spouse and your marriage regularly. So, because it's under attack. Is that good? Very good. All right. Um, okay, here we go. Um, Balboa says, how do I know I'm still saved after black backsliding from the Lord? Go for it. Balboa, I, I would just say, is your trust in Jesus Christ here right now today? Hmm. You know, in some sense, forget about the past. Are you trusting in Christ today or are you looking to yourself for your salvation or to any other thing. Right. To 
receive that standing of right relationship with God, we need to trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, especially what Jesus did at the cross and in his resurrection. If, if that's you, th- then you can say, I have the assurance that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I have that assurance of Jesus's promise that all who come to me, I will no way cast out. You have the assurance from Jesus that he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You say, I've done that. I've come to him. I've put my trust in him. I've called upon the name of the Lord. And and if you've sort of moved from that position in the past, well, to use an old expression, more's the pity for that, but you can say, no, today I'm trusting in Christ. I have that assurance today. Hmm. I think that is huge comfort for any one hmm. of us that I I cannot do anything that disqualifies me from the Lord's work on the cross for me. So therefore I can't add to it either. Um, so if it's behavior that needs to change now that you are coming back to the Lord, then, then ask for strength to do those things that you know God wants you to do. Um, and it just like you can fall out of good habits, you need to fall back into good habits. Yes. And that might be more what you're thinking about um, when you start feeling good about yourself again, which doesn't change God's love for you or his, his full act of redemption on the cross for you. If you are, just like David said, if you're still trusting in him today for that salvation, then you do the works of salvation uh, based on that reassurance. And I think that helps a lot. Very good. Great. Okay, so now we have Alfredo Coronado. He says, what are your thoughts on starting gender-oriented programs at church, such as men's weightlifting and women's cardio, or a handyman services for men and cooking classes for women? Are you looking to me? I don't know. Okay, I'm yeah. happy to give an answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if our answer will be the same, but yeah, yeah. if you feel differently, you just... I will, you just, I will yeah, okay. come right okay. on in. All right, Alfredo, I think that there's no universal answer to that question. I don't think it's right to say all churches should have such things, or is it right to say all churches should never have such things? Mm. I think it's something for the church leadership to be open, to be hopefully led by the Holy Spirit and such things, and and to be very realistic to look at the fruit that comes forth from it. And when I say fruit, I don't just mean do people enjoy such things, because it's not the church's responsibility to provide people with everything they might enjoy. Mm. But are these things really building disciples? Are they building uh, fellowship, koinonia among the people of God? Mm. And uh, I don't see any automatic harm in those things. Uh, There's a potential harm. Could be. Nor do I see any automatic benefit in those things. There's Mm. a potential benefit. Mm. So this is the kind of thing that I I wouldn't make it a rule for churches, either yes or no. But if they feel led, hopefully by God's spirit to do something, then be very um, honest about taking a look at the true spiritual fruit that may or may not come through such things. Because again, the, the, the main mission of the church is to make disciples. Mm. And, and the church may do very practical things mm. um, toward that end, mm. but it should be contributing toward that end. Mm. Yeah. I, and, I, and I think that that's so true when you do these, what you would consider extracurricular activities put on by the church. They should... They should have a, a lifespan. It shouldn't mm. feel like you start one of these classes and you can never end it, just like you would with Bible study. Bible study starts and it's never ending. Really easy for programs to kind of become exactly. eternal at a exactly. church. Exactly, yeah. and make sure that I feel that these classes should have a beginning and an end so that you can take the time to evaluate if they're meeting those criteria. I think that I think it's great to have some aspect of those things every so often. It should not be um, the the purpose or the goal of the church to look to have them. If it comes up naturally and somebody 
comes to your church, they've been going for a while, they say, hey, would you be interested? I think it's a decision that every leadership should focus on, um, and it should have um, the opportunities for leadership to evaluate what's going on in these classes. So, When yeah. we led the Bible college in Germany, you had cooking classes. I did have a I had, but that, that was I, a Bible college setting. It wasn't properly yeah, a church. That was, yeah, that no, was no, no. really fun. Yeah, that was really we fun. We felt like we were kind of pouring in some life well, skills. Yes, to these into young, young people, people yeah. that, that needed them at But the those time. cooking classes were awesome. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Pretty fun. Okay, here we go. Um, I could be wrong, but I think this is the, who that's from. It says, it seems like sharing with friends about Jesus is not enough. It seems to be getting nothing done. Should Christians just sit back and say God is in control? Well, okay, just from the way you present the question, Mr. or Mrs., I could be wrong, but I think. I I would say yes, sit back and say God's in control from the way that you present the question because you're saying that you are sharing with your friends that you are hopefully led by the Holy Spirit bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to them, maybe telling them about the good things that God is doing in your life. Um, and, and so you're already speaking to them. It just seems to be not effective mm. in leading the Lord. Mm. Then, then I would say, yes, there's a place just to stand back and say, Lord, it's not my job to convert this person. It's your job. I have testified faithfully. I I will in the future as you give me opportunity. And so now I'll leave it with you. I mean, that's kind of the Mm. sense I do it. Now, Mm. um, that's kind of my initial Mm. reaction to that. Mm. What what do you think? Well, I I think that there is a sense when you share naturally with people about the Lord, um, expect a natural response. Sometimes people don't care about what you say at all, mm. no matter what you share with them. Mm. So don't expect people to have a, a oh, thank you for sharing mm. Jesus with me today. I didn't know that. That's going to rarely happen. It's it's those times when you've shared whatever God puts on your mind at the time or whatever you think you want to share what's next in the conversation Um, It's those things that they think about when they're by themselves. Those things can be brought to their attention again by the Holy Spirit and reiterate what you said, and they might have questions. I always feel like it's much better to ask somebody that you might have shared with, hey, I know we talked about God last time. Was there anything you wanted to ask me but didn't at the time, but since Mm -hmm. you maybe have had time to think about it? And if they say, no, nothing, then you say, great, well, that's good. Or if they have a question, they might ask it then to add to what you've already said, but to answer questions that they might have. So be open, but I, don't, I, I wouldn't just sit back. I would, you know, I wouldn't just... Okay, so what, what would you do other than sitting back? Well, I would look for opportunities yes. to share my personal experiences with Christ with somebody else. So you you would maybe speak to somebody who doesn't yet believe, a- almost as if they were a believer, and just tell them about what God's doing in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. I, I like that. I think that people want the real you and not the witnessing you. Yeah, like you, you feel like you don't have to shut off right. yeah. your relationship with the Lord when you speak with them. Yeah. Just say, today I was reading and something came to my mind, hey, I just want to share it with you, or... You might have been asked to pray for somebody and God answered. Then you can share, hey, I was praying for somebody. This is very cool. Let me share it with you. So make your witnessing about Jesus a natural outflow of your normal conversations. But I I always remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, Mm. but God gave the increase. Mm. So... Mm. That's what we do. Mm, Very Very good. Okay, next. Next question is Susan. She says, are angels spirits? Where in the Bible is this addressed? Or where can we we find that? In Hebrews. And friends, look, I I feel like I know the Bible pretty well, but I I just know this verse is in Hebrews. I can't tell you the chapter and verse. 
But in Hebrews, it says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. And so, yes, uh, angels are what we would call spirits or spirit beings. Hmm. What does that exactly mean? I don't know if we know. Hmm. I, I don't know if I can tell you exactly what a spirit being is. It, it's it's a, a being that is real, that has a mind, that has will, that has emotions, but apparently doesn't have, at least not permanently, a flesh and blood, blood body the way that we know it. Right. Uh, we, we do know that angels can at times assume a human body, uh, but that seems to be rare. Their, their main existence seems to be as ministering spirits mm. uh, sent forth to minister salvation mm. on behalf of this. Did you find that verse? Or is that? No. No, okay. Anyway, look, Susan can look it up just as much as we can. In Hebrews, it just talks about um, uh, angels being spirits. Okay. So that that's um, that's interesting. Oh, okay. Oh, he makes his angels winds. That's in the ESV. Yeah. That's translating spirits right there because in both Hebrew and Greek, the word for spirit, wind, and breath are all the same. Right. I don't like that translation. Okay. He makes his angels winds. What does change. that even mean? I will change. No, it no, right no. That's fine. You don't have to change it. You don't have to change it. <laughs> Look, there's no perfect translation. No. Oh, oh. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. All righty. Next question. I have a close friend who says she has accepted Jesus as her... Oh, sorry. Claudia Vasquez says, I have a close friend who said she has accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior, but she is still living in sin with her boyfriend. If Jesus comes back, will she get left behind? I'm worried. Claudia, it's not an easy question to answer. Hmm. Because we we don't have like... um, a light on everybody's forehead that changes from red to green mm. when they're born again. Mm. You know, we, we don't know looking often from the outside in. What, what we do know is this. And I take this a lot from what John says in 1 John, not only in that, but in 1 John, he talks a lot about this principle that a Christian, someone who's genuinely born again, can't be comfortable in habitual sin. Mm. Now, do Christians occasionally sin? Of course. Mm. And I believe that a Christian can fall into habitual sin, at least for a season, but they'll be tormented in their conscience about it. Mm. But I don't believe that someone who's truly born again can be comfortable in habitual sin. Now, Claudia, I don't know about your friend's life. I don't know about their conscience. I don't know, you know, maybe your friend is just absolutely tormented by their sin and the Spirit's really striving with them. And this, maybe not. Maybe it's just sort of a cover and they don't really care. Hmm. But a person's attitude towards sin, and especially sin in their life, is one indicator of whether or not they're born again. It's not the only one by any means, Mm. but it's one indicator. Mm. And a lot of this comes from passages in 1 John. I'd recommend that you read that book carefully and slowly, uh, the letter of 1 John. Mm. But that's the best way I could phrase it to you. Mm. Uh, I I don't really know looking from the outside in, but I think that principle is true and it abides. Yeah, yeah. And the follow-up to that is, if Jesus comes back, Will she get left behind? Oh. Well, okay, I believe if someone is born again by God's Spirit, if they are a believer and in God's kingdom, then they will, will, go. will go when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, absolutely. Yes. If, if only all of us could be finished and ready and sinless and then get to go, I think there'd be very few people in heaven. But I think there will be a lot of people in heaven who um, who have done their utmost to live before God um, with as little sin as possible, with forgiven sin every day, and with the idea that um, what Christ did for us on the cross, mm. and if our belief is in what he did was for me, um, only he knows. Only yes. he knows. And so... 
And then we have a wonderful encouragement. Um, Polly from Texas here. She says, what a treat to hear from both of you today. Enjoying hearing your transparency about marriage communication. Really helpful. Thank you. Great. People might start demanding this every day. I know. Week, that, I that's know. not going to no, happen. That's not going to happen. All no. right. Okay. All no, right. no. Okay. I have a life too, you know. You, do, you most do. <laughs> definitely do. You most definitely do. Okay. Thank you, Polly. Thank you for that. Thank you for that encouragement. Why people are so... Well, who's oh, this from? This is and, from uh, Pitasoni Vacamelalo. You can just say the first name. It's okay, fine. Pitasoni. Uh, why people are so selective in their beliefs in the Bible when it comes to tithing. Some say they don't tithe because they believe it isn't taught in the New Testament. Okay, uh, Pitasoni, let me give you my perspective on this. I would say that tithing is definitely taught in the New Testament. And when we say tithing, we're talking about giving 10% of our income to God's work, to the kingdom of God, so to speak. That God's work could be represented in a lot of ways. It could be a ministry. It could be charitable works to other people. But, um, you know, 10% of your income given to, that's, tithe means 10%. And I would say that the New Testament teaches tithing, mm-hmm. but it does not emphasize tithing. Mm-hmm. Instead, it emphasizes the principle of what we would call giving. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the difference. Mm-hmm. The emphasis in the New Testament is not on a strict 10% tithe, but on giving and generosity in general. And I'll tell you how many Christians in the early church understood that. There were Christians in the early church who said things like this. We as Christians are not under the tithe. We can give more. Yeah, that means... You see, listen, because I'll be straightforward with you. I believe that for some Christians, for them to give 10% would be disobedience. Mm. God has so blessed them Mm. that God would want them to give more. Mm. And for other Christians... 10% 10% is a goal mm. that they're shooting for, mm. um, that they're working towards. But I, I will tell you this. The New Testament clearly teaches us in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. I'm going to be honest. I can't remember if it's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. That's okay. No judgment. That our giving should be proportional. Mm. He says, as one has been blessed, that's how they should give. That makes sense. So... If our giving is to be proportional, mm. then 10% is a great benchmark mm. for mm. proportion. But, mm. but, uh, I'll agree, tithing is not emphasized in the New Testament. Mm. The principle of generosity is. Right. And that's from, it's, generosity comes from a heart that is um, affected by the goodness of God, the generosity of God that evaluates what I have can be used greatly for something else. I don't need this much or I, I, need, to, I need to live on less. I need to um, keep this in perspective in my life. And God has a wonderful way of doing that through his spirit. And so yes. trusting that um, you can't outgive God, you can't give more than he thinks you should, um, and but you can undergive. You can you can withhold from God, and nobody wants to be in that position. Malachi talks about it as robbing yeah. God. Yeah, when you withhold from God. I'll tell you a story. This is a secondhand story, so I didn't hear it firsthand, but it came to you. There, there was a pastor who he used to teach about tithing a lot, hmm. and uh, there was one couple in his church that this really annoyed them. Hmm. They were very not happy with the fact that he taught about tithing a lot. And so one day they came up and after the sermon, they were really kind of bugging the pastor about this. And the pastor just said this. He said, okay, let, let, me, let me get this clear. You don't want to give in proportion to how you've been blessed. Mm-hmm. He was asking them. Yeah, they, they said that. And they said, yes, we don't, we don't want to do that because mm. that's what tithing is. Mm. It's giving and, and, and the percentage there is 10%. Mm. He said, you don't want to be blessed. Excuse me, you don't want to give in proportion to how you've been blessed. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, we don't. Mm. And then he said, well, then fine. May you be blessed in proportion to how you give. Wow. 
And wow. that was kind of meant that as a... Yeah. And, uh, and again, yeah. I, I think that gets back to a principle, not yeah. to heap manipulation yeah. or yeah. guilt upon people, yeah. but we shouldn't fear being too generous before the Lord. Right. We, we should fear being manipulated yeah. into giving. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But we shouldn't fear being too generous. Yeah. No. Very, very good. Well, That's it. we want to thank all of you listeners from around the world, many different countries. Yes. We see here that you from Spain, from really, all, yeah. There's all kinds of different uh, places here. People come from. Wow. So just um, may you be blessed during this season of of Christmas and uh, holidays and activities and. Um, you know, some people might say that this is a season where it's all about materialism and commercialism and and shopping and doing this and that. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way for you. You get to keep Christ at the center of December all month long if you want to. Um, but just recognize that it's your your choice to a time period and a season in the world where Christmas, if you're in a Christian country where they celebrate it, um, where they do that. What? And you have a Bible plan on you version. Oh, yes, that's right. I do. That you wrote. I do. It's just a, it's just a devotional through the month of December. And that'll help people to do just that. It does. It kind of centers you on some aspect that leads up to the Christmas story. Go to YouVersion, search for Enduring Word, look for my wife's Bible plan under that. Translate into how many languages? I think nine. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. And we want to say thank you for listening um, to our TRW listeners. Yes, our T- TWR, TWR, sorry. Yes, TWR 360 audience. Yes, 360 audience. Yes. So thank you and God bless you and um, continue your day, your evening um, uh, in the presence of God's spirit. He's with you daily. God willing. And if we live, I'll see you next week. Yes. Probably not you. Probably okay. not me. Okay. Anyway. Thanks, everybody. Hi. God bless you. Hi, mom and dad. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.